Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right. Well, when I was a kid and I got in trouble, my father's famous words for, go to my room. He would leave us there for hours sometimes, sweating, turmoiling, crying out to God to save us from the wrath to come. He would watch like the Cosbys, have a glass of milk, come in dead calm, like a CIA agent or something, and then either give us our licking or help us understand in a way that didn't require a licking. Um, but he did it often enough that we learned, and we learned that we should listen to our mother, that there's nothing wrong with our ears. And so I share that because for some of you this morning, this conversation is going to feel like me saying to you, go to my room. <laughs> All right, now, I love you, um, and I love the church, the body of Christ, but we're going to talk about some things in these next three weeks because in part of what's going on in the world around us, and we see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, let me say, discord with regard to what people are passionate about. And I would submit to you this morning, that's because as Christians today, we no longer understand the word passion. Uh, and I'm going to establish that today, share a little bit of a story from one of the characters of the New Testament with you, and then over the next three weeks, we're going to build on that. But you have to have this as a foundation. It's time to help people who want to follow Jesus in this world to understand what passion actually means again. I'm going to say that this way. So when you read the scripture in the New Testament in nearly any translation, what you're going to find is almost every single time you read that word passion, it's going to be with lust. It's going to be, it's going to be you know, we have passion for the lusts of the flesh, or we have sinful passions and desires. And that's the way you're going to see the word cast over and over and over again. And the truth is that, um, that the English language has evolved and changed so much over the years it's been in existence it's been in existence that we often lose sight or lose track of what the original texts of Scripture were actually saying. Now, it serves us well either way, which I'll get to by the end, but I want you to understand that, the, that most of the times when you read the word passion in the New Testament in English, it's not a good thing. And here's the parallel. Most of the times that I find myself talking with you, with people from our church, people in the world, about passion... Um, it's actually aligned with things that are not the kingdom of God. Now, that's hard to hear, perhaps, but I want to I tell you that when you understand this word and when you understand what it means and who it's for and what it can do in your life, you are gonna be, um, you're going to be moved into a new realm of understanding of what God wants to do, what God could do through you, and where fulfillment and joy are actually going to come from in your life. Um, so you'll be hard-pressed to find that word meaning anything other than lust. And the Greek word for lust, just out of memory, is, I think, epimetheo um, most of the time. And I can't afford the hour it would take for me to read you all hundred and some verses from the Bible that contain that word passion to prove this to you, but I hope that you'll just trust me. Now, those of you who are doing the preaching course, take your preaching to the next level with, uh, with me right now. I, I expect you to trust me knowing what goes into building a message for church, uh, now that you have a, a really good picture of what that looks like. 
Uh, so now the word passion that we are using for this series does actually mean passion. We're not, we're not doing a switcheroo on you. We're not substituting something in any strange way. We're just coming back to a more realistic, more pure form, I believe, of that word. And um, it's actually the, the root of the right word used in the right way that we're trying to get to this morning. But not in the way that it's evolving in the English language. So the simplest application of the word from current culture would be the movie, The Passion of the Christ. So who's seen The Passion of the Christ? Anybody? Okay. That, that is, I actually have not seen it. Can you believe that? I have not seen it. I've always said, Tyson used to bug me, Trav, you got to watch it. So I'm like, listen, man, I cry enough at Easter already. I just, it's just, Easter is, Easter is my time of joy and tears and, and sorrow and joy. And it's just very, you know, it's, I, I mean, I love the resurrection of Jesus story. And so I have plenty of emotion over that. Um, but I've actually not watched the passion of the Christ, but the truth is in the right context, that is what passion is. And what you'll find is that we read is that passion does not mean warm, fluffy bunnies and unicorns made of cotton candies and doing the things, doing the hobbies that will bring you life or getting to work in the, the part of your job that just makes you so happy you get to go to work in the morning. Those can be related to passion for sure, but they are not, in fact, passion. Because passion, when you boil it all down, means suffering. Now, it doesn't always mean suffering in a bad context, which we're going to get to, but it means suffering. Why does passion mean suffering? Well, the simple answer is this. In the English word, passion refers to Jesus' suffering long before it evolved into other or more sultry meanings. So before we got to the concept of, oh, that was a night of passion, which Pastor Amy and I know something about. Before we got to that, Passion was about suffering. And let me tell you, Pastor Amy and I also know something about that. All right? If you, if you love someone, you understand suffering not as a horrible thing, but actually as a wonderful thing. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's good love, if it's real, I think. Um, but you see, passion referred to Jesus' suffering in the English language long before it meant anything else. So we're coming back to an original. Now, the origins of the word passion from the English language actually come from Old French, Late Latin, and then really what is original Latin. And so the original Latin word was pati, Late Latin turned it into passio, and then through Old French, and as the English language began to show up, we arrive at this word in Middle English called passion. But here's what I need you to understand. We have English passion, we have Old French passion, we have the late Latin passio, and we have Latin pati. But why does that matter to us? Well, because Latin is the language of Rome. Right? Did you, I don't know if you knew that or not, but Latin was what Romans, that, that was what they did. And I mean, they learned the vernacular of all the regions they conquered and were setting up their kingdom in and all that. But Latin was the language. And so much of our science, much of our English language actually has derivatives back to Latin language. Now, here's the thing. Where do you think Latin came from? Well, Latin came from Greek. See, what would happen was, is the Romans, when they conquered, they were actually kind of, uh, I don't want to say parasitic, but they were like a leech maybe in a way, but they really absorbed a lot of culture and made it a part of their own 
thing. They made it a part of their identity. And so we, we see a lot of borrowing from Roman Latin culture into Greek culture. And that's everything in philosophy and science and even history. But why that matters to us as the church is because Greek is the language of the New Testament that it was originally written in. And the Catholics actually would translate from the Latin uh, before maybe they would, and I'm not actually sure, maybe the Catholics still translate only out of Latin, but Greek was actually the original language of the New Testament. Now, it wasn't the spoken language, it was the written language. Aramaic in that region would have been the spoken language, that Jesus would have spoken Aramaic and probably Hebrew, and I actually think he probably, you know, knew more than two languages, being the son of God and all. I just, I think linguistics was not an issue for him, right? Um, so, so this all comes from the Greek. And those ideas that we have today about these words come all the way back to God's word as a source, which I love, don't you? Don't you love that so many words when we study them come back to God's inspired word as the source? I love it. All right, so here's a slide for you. One of the ways we can read this Greek word passion that we could find in the New Testament is the word pathos. And by definition, that means that which befalls one, a passion, a suffering. So there's that word, suffering. Passion is a suffering. Then we can move on. Whatever befalls one, whether it be sad or joyous, specifically a calamity, a mishap, evil, an affliction. The second part of the definition, a feeling which the mind suffers, an, afflict, or an affection of the mind, emotion, passion, passionate desire. Now this is important for you to understand, used by the Greeks in neither a good or a bad sense. All right? Now, uh, oh, and, and sorry, and the, the last thing is passion is this inordinate affection or lust. And that word inordinate, inordinate in case you wanted to look it up, or just pretend you know it either way, is fine by me, but it means dis disproportionately large. So something that is, it's out of context with its surroundings. That's what passion is. And when I ask you, hey, Tyler, what's your passion? Because I am having a lot of conversations with, with Tyler for the last couple years even, actually, about passion. He is a passionate man. He is. He is. He, he's passionate about his marriage and his family and his career. He is all those things. But there's this deeper passion. There's this deeper life. There needs to be something in your life, if you're going to be passionate about it, that is disproportionately large compared to the other things you enjoy. And if it's not disproportionately large, I want you to consider that maybe it's not passion. See, because when it becomes disproportionately large, when it becomes something that, is, that casts a huge shadow in your life, it is then that you realize it's something that might be worth suffering for. But most of the things human beings today refer to as a passion, well, you know, I just really have a passion for gaming. Oh, really, teenager? You have a passion for gaming? Well, that's going to be unfulfilling later in life, I assure you. Life. I just, I have a passion for firearms, Pastor Trav. Oh, I also have a passion for firearms and hunting and everything outdoors and beards and fine beard oils and hair regrowth products. <laughs> Finally, define muscles in your arms that are exposed to what people can see. Just, I just want to show that line for the camera this morning. Um, it's all I got. 
That's all I got. What can I say? Because uh, of COVID, everything else is just kind of turning into lumpy and bumpy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right. Um, that's for another series, you know, getting in shape after COVID, part three. Well, why does this all matter? Because I see in this day that church people, worldly people alike, are living for all kinds of quote-unquote passion, but it's not a passion that aligns with Jesus. And that's a problem. Because passion that aligns with Jesus will give you joy and peace and happiness, but not in the way you think. It will give you joy, peace, and happiness because it is maturing you in and through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Passion and suffering can go hand-to-hand together in Jesus' reality for your life because it will always be worth it in the end. But how many things do you have this morning in your life that you call your passion, but you know when I nail you down on that question and I say, really explain to me why it is passion for you most of the time, you will realize before you finish trying to explain it that it's not giving you all that much life. It's a fact. Passion that aligns with Jesus is what gives us joy and peace and happiness because it's maturing us with Christ. Right passion aligns us with the passion of Christ. Right passion aligns us with the passion of Christ. To know him is to know him in his suffering and the power of his resurrection being conformed to his death, as it says in Philippians 3. In fact, let's read Philippians uh, 3, 8 to 10 together. Uh, It says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered Now, that's not the same suffer, but who have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Being conformed to his pasco. Patheo has its root in the word pasco. And that pasco is that word that is the suffering word. That, 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 that's this whole idea of what passion really is. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And we can't talk about the rest of this series without keeping in our mind that passion. Patheo, Pasco. And there are other derivatives of that word that exist through the New Testament. And it's important that we keep that in mind and understand it because it reveals the motivation for why the men and the women of the early church were willing to be bullied, willing to be crucified, willing to be beheaded, willing to be fed to lions, willing to be burned at the stake for crowds of entertainment. So so that they would somehow bring honor to Jesus by not denying him when their life was on the line. That is the passion of the Christ. That is the passion of his body, the church. And we can't really continue to kid ourselves saying, well, this is my passion or that is my passion if it's not a passion that's aligned with the passion of Jesus. You just can't do it. Because passion for things of this world, you can't, who, who read the verses at Carlisle or, or Christine? You can't serve two masters. Great, though, great from you, Christine. Great scripture this morning, Carlisle. Great scripture. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two passions. See, because what drives you 
is inordinately large, disproportionately large when compared to the other things in your life. You know what, guys? Your and my passion should be the biggest part of our personality. Now, I'm just, I'm going off note here. But just by the Holy Spirit, I want you to get this this morning. Your passion should actually be expressed in the biggest parts of your personality. And by the way, what you are expressing in the biggest parts of your personality is revealing your passion. Now you say, Pastor Trav, don't, don't get too preachy at me. I don't want to feel bad leaving today. I don't care if you feel church leaving bad today as long as you feel loved. <laughs> Now listen, let me tell you why I'm qualified to say that to you this morning. This past week, probably Tuesday morning, no, it was Wednesday morning, immediately following men's prayer. I went out to check our horse that had had a foal. And I had to catch the horse because she has some issues after foaling and she's always going to need some shots of penicillin. So I knew I had to go. I go out into the pen where she is, which happens to be where Annika's blessed sheep live. And I had a pail of oats with me because if you ever had horses, you know the best way to catch a horse is with some oats. But sheep also like oats, those blessed little creatures. And I walked in through the, the hole in the fence and I start walking over, talking softly to the horses because, you know, horses need you. Horses, if you, I don't know if you know this, but horses can like hear your heartbeat 15 feet away. Like that, that's why horses, when you're scared, a horse knows you're scared, and they're, they're a herd animal, so if one heart rate goes up, everybody's heart rate starts to go up. That's just how God designed them. Yeah. But as I'm walking in my peaceful, just left men's prayer mindset, the holiest man of God you have ever met, yeah. something from the depths of hell <laughs> smashed into my leg, folded my knee sideways, and took me down. I turned around to see Annika's blessed ram. His name's Isaac. That ram almost took my knee out, like, permanently. And guys, I have to tell you, my passions were revealed. I got up, swinging a 35-gallon, 35-pound pail of oats as hard as I could, doing my best to kill that sheep. And I, I, I actually had to ask my girls to make sure really foul words had not come out of my mouth. But if I can just be really transparent with you, there were a lot of words in my mind. And a lot of words wanted to come out of me. I then grabbed a seven-foot-long fence post and proceeded, proceeded to swing it wildly at the ram, which, of course, caused me to fall down. Yeah, you can imagine how this is going. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I broke the metal handle off the pail trying to strike this sheep with a pail of oats, which doesn't work, just so you know. I then picked up the fence post and tried to kill the sheep. Please don't tell PETA. And I just want to tell you, not one of us in this room are fast enough with a great big fence post to swing and hit and kill a sheep. <laughs> My next thought was to go and get a rifle. And once and for all, demonstrate to my family, the herd, and the hall of creation, I suppose, that I was triumphant over a ram. Guys, listen. When we're pressed, what comes out of us reveals our passion. And I'm not perfect yet. 
Not even close. But I love those moments because, you know, my friend the Holy Spirit, he's right there with me. And he's pointing out, you know, you probably took things a little far, Trout. <laughs> and I'm like, no, duh. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And here's the thing, guys. I see God smile. I see him shake his head. And I see him let his grace abound in my life. And then he begins to speak truth about why it is that what's on the inside of us comes out the way it does. Why it matters that when we're squeezed, when we're pressed, that we live a life and we discipline a life that allows Jesus to be what comes out of us when we're pressed. So if you're feeling picked on today because you've used the word passion in the wrong way, in a way that you're realizing, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that to a leader. I wish I wouldn't have said that to a husband. I wish I wouldn't have said that that way to a friend. Well, I assure you, it's Christ. It's, uh, it's a correction that the body of Christ needs as a whole. And I, as your pastor, need regularly. Common culture today wants to put me first. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. It's all about I. Self-care, self-love, self-healing, self, self, self. You know, you can't love others if you can't love yourself. Yeah, well, you know, those things are true in part. But the truth is, is that if you love yourself, you also have to be loving someone else like yourself. And the truth is, is, if you want to grow and if you want to heal and if you want to move on and if you want to mature, then you need to allow your passion to be aligned with the passion of the Christ. Yes, you need to do your part to be healthy in body, soul, and spirit. But not in the way the world says that you should. Not that way. So before you storm the legislature to compel the government to back off and leave churches and leave our freedoms and our liberties alone, you need to make sure your passion is aligned properly. And before you continue to go along with and live in fear of viruses and fines and all of the things the government could do or what's your friends who agree with you or disagree with you or have changed their mind about you. You see, none of those things matter because what's supposed to matter is that your passions are aligned the right way to begin with. That prevents you from being blown off course when somebody in your life says, we need to wear masks, we need to wear masks, and six months go by and they say, we should not be wearing masks. With so much passion. There's a whole world out here, guys, right now. Passion is misplaced. Passion is misplaced. Passion is about me first. Wear a mask. Save lives. Save lives whether you're wearing a mask or not. Of course that's a value to all of us. Your passion needs to... Let me boil this down for you. If I could just boil it down to the simplest things that are required of you to live passionately for God, here's, I'm going to give this as an attempt, and maybe I'll have to improve on it. But here's the simplest things. You and I are here for as long as God places us here in this earth to serve and to worship him. That's what we're here for. Further to that, we are here to be a light in the darkness, to sow the seeds of the gospel in our words and in our deeds. 
We are here to care for the orphans and the widows and the downtrodden. We are here to bring hope to the brokenhearted, to speak freedom to the captives, to declare the favor of the Lord. Now that's God's grace, just so you know. The, favor, the favorable year of the Lord, the Lord's favor. God, God's favor, guys, that's grace. Divine, unmerited favor is what grace is. And we're to declare that favor to all people who would turn to Jesus. That's why we're here. That's got to be our passion. I would be failing miserably if you came to our church and left here saying, well, that pastor sure is passionate about guns. What I hope you see is a passion for his word, a passion for his people, a passion for his promises, a passion for his provision in your life and all of the people around you. Because those are things worth being passionate about. Taking care of orphans and widows should be of the highest priority for the people of God. Sharing the gospel by your deeds and by your words should be the highest priority. It should be a a deep passion for everyone who wants to follow Jesus. For one who says, well, I'm, I'm passionate about our liberties, that is not the liberty that Christ sets you free for. Guys, we are here for the time we're here. And I got to tell you, I think the real, the real adventure, the real sensational things are going to happen when we leave this world and are with Jesus. I think that's where it's going to be the most incredible. And so my role and your role in the time that we're here is to live passionately for God. Yeah. And that means to suffer for Him. Yeah. And to know Him in His suffering. To understand that like Christ had to die for my sin, there are things in my life that also need to continually die to Christ. There are passions of the flesh that need to be put to death every day so that you can live to Christ. Ask yourself what you're passionate about today. Ask yourself. And I just don't want you to be shocked if after hearing this, not a lot comes to your mind. Can I just, you don't have room for a hundred passions. You don't have room for that. You have room for a few passions. And I want to make it so simple for you, those passions need to align with Jesus. That's it. Would you lead a small group? Well, Pastor Trav, I just don't feel too passionate about leading a small group. I didn't ask you if you felt passionate about leading a small group. I asked you if you'd lead a small group. Because my assumption is that you're passionate about the people of God. See what I'm saying? Kid, would you do your chore? I'm not going to use my kid as an example this Sunday. I'm, I'm just not. <laughs> Matthias! Ava! It's nice to see you're not wearing ripped jeans today. Good job, Ava. I'm going to ask you guys to clean your room. Well, Dad, I'm just not feeling so passionate about that. I don't care. (laughs) Because a clean room or a dirty room isn't about your passion, but here's what your passion should be about. If you are under the age of 18 in this church, your passion should be about serving your parents well, honoring your parents well, so that your days will be long in the earth and it will go well with you. And remember, it don't matter if your days are long in the earth 
and it's not going to go well with you. And it will not go well with you if you don't pick up your room, Jacob and Logan. I can't help it. Can't help it. See, if you think that you're on your own with any struggle, with any problem in your family, stop lying to yourself. There are people in this room who are going through it too. You don't know my secrets. Oh, I know more secrets than you want to admit. And I'm telling you, you're not alone. You're not alone. So in a stroke of irony today, I'm going to share quickly with you because I have used up most of my time. I'm going to take the least amount of time to talk about the apostle who likely suffered the most and maybe even contributed the most to the New Testament. Apostle Paul. Paul, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, wrote the most letters in the Bible, perhaps became the biggest, uh, was once a sinner to influence the church that we have ever known. Really, that's him. Saul persecuted the believers until he became one himself. He was present for the execution of Stephen. He watched over the beating of believers. And here's what, here's what I realized. that This was just this morning as I was preparing these notes. I realized this. You know, it's actually likely that Paul, before Christ, his name was Saul, but in his old nature, in his sin nature, when he was serving the Sanhedrin, I think that it is likely that he was one of the people who set the cultural precedent that made it acceptable for Christians to be treated lower than anyone else. And I think by his actions, by his condemnation, by his persecution, he was a part of creating this precedent that said it's okay to burn Christians on poles for entertainment. It's okay to feed Christians to lions. And it's okay for you to put Christians in the sand of Colosseums to die at the hands of gladiators. That was Paul. You want to talk about a man who knew the agony of wrongs done. You want to know the the context of why Paul stands there and says, look, I am the chief of sinners. And yet, Paul wrote some amazing things by the Holy Spirit. Let's read through this together if you can keep up with me. <laughs> Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me as, even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What am I saying? I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as foolishness in this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise. Now, please hear the sarcasm. Sarcasm? Sarcasm. Just hear the sarcasm. Be open to the sarcasm of this line in this text. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. Just let that sink in, present day reality. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I am speaking in foolishness, I too am bold. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? 
I am speaking as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my also being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? That's passion. That's passion. The willingness to suffer all of these things and count it joy, count it a privilege, count it an honor to be called by God to serve in such a way. That is passion. I'm just really passionate about mountain biking, Pastor Trav. I know. But we're going to get to a deeper passion. We're going to get to a place where you understand when Paul says, who is weak without my being weak? Do you understand that for the leaders of this church, when you walk and when you're weak and when you're sick and when you're struggling, we feel that. And we experience it. Guys, the church family, when you have a horrible day, when tragedy befalls you, when something goes wrong, when your business is failing, when your family is struggling, there are people in this church who are so burdened with you that it ruins our day with you. And it ruins our weeks and it ruins our months. For as long as you're in that place of suffering and pain and adjustment, we're walking in that with you and we feel it. Because we are one body. We are one people. Serving under one spirit. And we feel it and we know it. When I see you walking towards the edge of sin to fall off, I am sick to myself. When I see the pattern repeating again and again, and I know that destruction will be the end result of that pattern, my heart is broken. I lose sleep. And so do all who know the passion of Jesus. Rather than being angry at our premier, shouldn't our heart break for him? Rather than being angry at the left, shouldn't our heart break for them? We need to re-examine our passion. The great men and women of God who have come before us, they knew Christ in his suffering. And that is why they also got to know him in the power of his resurrection. Can I just ask you, do you really think, do you really think you're going to get to know the power of his resurrection without dying to yourself? What would be the point? 
if you're not going to die to self, you don't need resurrecting. If you're not going to die to self, you don't need resurrecting. But then you're stuck with who you are outside of His grace. That is what suffering that aligns with passion looks like. Guys, it has to be worth it to endure it. I'm not suggesting that we should throw our lives pointlessly into things. I'm not suggesting that we should burn ourselves out. I'm not suggesting that we should be unwise in what we say yes to. Those things are all valuable, important, and are obvious in our culture as a church. But we need a mass mobilization of people who are going to say, my passion's aligned with Jesus. So my answer is, yes, I will. It has to be worth it to endure it. And maybe your problem is that you're not considering that it's worth it at the end. Maybe you're just missing the value. Maybe you're just missing the opportunity. And I want to end with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to fight and fight on our knees with our hands lifted high to close the service. I think that when we have passion misaligned, our problem is this, is that if you say this is my passion and a passion is supposed to be a disproportionately large thing in your life that you're willing to suffer for, but it's really a meager passion, see, what's happening is you're just asking too little of God. You're not actually asking him for anything he really needs to help you with. You know, God, I just need, I just need, I need some money. You know what God's answer is when you need money? Go to work. I'm sorry. Now, God comes through miraculously for people all the time, and he needs to, and people need him to. But generally speaking, the answer is, well, go to work. I'm hungry. Well, get food. Eat. Right? We... We think we're asking God for big things, but we're asking God for minuscule things that he's going, you don't need my help for that. And that's a problem. That's why our world looks the way it looks. Because the church has stopped asking their daddy God for the biggest things, the most audacious things that need to happen in our world and among our people. When's the last time you asked God to save Justin Trudeau? I mean, no disrespect to our prime minister, but that's a miracle <laughs> that needs to happen. And guys, I've watched Pastor Coates say, Jason Kenney's not a believer, and you know, he may or may not be right. I don't even feel the need to weigh in on that because nobody's asking me my opinion on that. But here's what I do know. I want our premier, I want our government to know Jesus, and so what will change our culture is when our politicians know Jesus and when the people serving in bureaucracies know Jesus. That will change our nation. But if you don't have a passion to pray, you'll never see your passion for the nation that loves God realized. So build a passion for prayer. Jesus said, zeal has consumed me for my father's house. And he went in and he turned over the temple. He turned over the tables of the money changers. And his disciples remembered that. Your passion is too small and that's your problem. Can I pray for you? Let's stand. If you're at home watching on your couch today,
Why don't you stand too? I don't want you to miss out. I believe right now that as I pray for you, if you are open to it, I believe that God will meet you here in this place. His Holy Spirit will come and he will touch your life and he will begin to change your perspective right now if you're willing to let him. So I'm going to pray for you. And if you want to receive the things you hear me praying, then you just have to say, Jesus, that's what I want. Holy Spirit, that's what I want. Father in heaven, that's what I want. I'm going to pray about your passion. I'm going to pray about your passion. I'm going to pray about your passion. And in our prayer groups that meet weekly for this next series, guess what we're going to be praying about? We're going to be praying about your passion, and we're going to be praying about your passion, and we're going to be praying about your passion. Because this is where it's at for right now. I have been in the presence of God. I have heard him speak, and passion he desires in his church. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you that this group of people has gathered in your name. Jesus, I thank you that you have loved us to the point of death on the cross and that you have loved us and raised us to life with yourself. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would in this moment reveal to us the audacious things that you want us to ask of our Father. Lord, I pray that in this moment today, for each person standing in this room, for each person at home, God, that there would be an encounter with you right now in the name of Jesus we're asking where you would realign our thinking with a passion that reflects your passion, Lord, with the hope for our people, with the hope for our nation, with the hope for our communities, our provinces, our businesses, Lord, that align with something that will build your kingdom to be the everlasting kingdom you say it's going to be. Lord, I pray that our passions would begin to align in prayer and in worship and in focus as we think about you. Jesus, I pray that our passion this morning would begin to overflow and bubble up in our hearts. Lord, I'm not asking for you to give someone an emotional experience today, Lord, but rather an an experience in their being that changes the structure of their foundation in who they believe they are called to be by you. Lord, would you come in this moment today and change identities? Would you change ideologies? Would you change circumstances that are holding us back, Lord Jesus, from serving you with the fullest of hearts? Give us a passion for the lost. Give us a passion for worship, a passion for prayer. Lord, give us a holy passion for politics. Jesus, starting right here today, give us a new passion for this city, for the people we work with, for our children. Lord, let it come to me. Would you just pray that this morning? Say, Lord, let it come to me. Jesus, let it come to me. Let this passion come to me. Don't ask him if you don't want it because it'll be so hard for you. But if you want to know passion, not feel passion, but know passion, say, Lord, let it come to me. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.